0: Toronto, Canada. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serin.
1: It was a dark and stormy night. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. It is not fit for man or beast out there. So come on in. Out of the rain, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come gather round the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. I mean that. Uh, open lines. Open lines for the entire hour. Uh, climatologist Dr. Timothy Ball was to, to join us this evening to discuss climate change. Uh, this on the eve of what could be... Uh, What could see the United States pulling out of the Paris uh, Climate Accord, which is huge news. And I know uh, Dr. Timothy Ball is clicking his heels over that one, but he's under the weather. He is not feeling uh, very well, suddenly taken ill, and we wish uh, Dr. Ball a speedy recovery. Good friend of the program, and uh, we'll get him back on the show soon. So... Uh, that means open lines. You, me, and the telephone for the whole hour. Uh, what's in the box? Our weekly remote viewing experiment is just moments away. And again, if you want to participate, you must tweet. You must tweet your guests. Use the, uh, the Twitter feed at Richard Serrett. S-Y-R-E-T-T. At Richard Serrett. And use the hashtag TCS Remote. TCS, as in the Conspiracy Show, remote. And uh, I can't accept answers uh, via email or uh, from the YouTube, the live chat room. Sorry about that. I just it, it means I have to check in so many different places, and I simply I, I don't have time. So if I if I get you to tweet at Richard Serrett, use the hashtag TCS remote. They're all in one place. It makes it so much uh, easier for me. Uh, second hour of tonight's transmission. Um, paranormal researcher investigator Joshua P. Warren will be with us. This guy is cutting edge. One of the finest uh, young paranormal investigator researchers out there. And uh, he's a truly fascinating fellow. And we just spoke off uh, air before showtime. It turns out he is situated geograph- geographically in the middle of the Bermuda Triangle. He's he's down there in Puerto Rico. There's a big uh, Bermuda Triangle conference coming up, and we'll talk about that. How fitting for a paranormal investigator, researcher, uh, to live uh, part of the year right da- uh, smack dab in the middle of the Bermuda Triangle. Uh, and uh, we'll ta- talk a little bit about that with uh, Joshua, as well as he's really uh, excited these days about something called parasymatics, which has something to do with uh, the law of attraction. We'll get into that, and we'll talk about some of his other remote viewing, or remote viewing, uh, paranormal. I've got what's in the box in the brain. Maybe my, bo- my maybe my brain is in the box. You don't know. Um, Joshua has uh, conducted a number of interesting paranormal experiments in his lab down in Asheville uh, recently, and we'll talk about those as well. Some of, One of which... When it's sort of frighteningly awry. <laughs> uh, anyway, we'll, uh, we'll get to Joshua in the second hour. Again, open lines this hour. Let me give you those numbers right now because they're kind of handy when you're doing a phoning show. In the greater Toronto area, 416-360-0740. 416-360-0740. And toll free from just about anywhere one 740 4740 740 right, what's in the box? Uh, your chance to utilize your remote viewing skills and win some fabulous Conspiracy Show merchandise from The Conspiracy Show. You can visit the online store at theconspiracyshow.com. Now, dear listener, focus your attention. Focus your attention to the cigar box to my left on my studio desk here at Zoomerplex, 70 Jefferson Avenue in the Liberty Village neighborhood of Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Focus. Focus. You now have the coordinates. Close your eyes. Breathe deeply. Now, this is important. You've got to allow the shape, the texture, the color, Allow the image to form in your mind. If it helps, jot down some words, phrases, sketch, sketch something if that helps. And uh, again, send me your response at Richard Serrett. Via the Twitter feed at Richard Serrett, S Y because I love you R E double T. Use the hashtag TCS remote, and we'll do the reveal at the bottom of the hour. Let me introduce the boys in the band on the Gibson Flying V guitar, Ian Robertson, our technical producer. Ian, hello, and what's in the box, my fine rockabilly friend?
2: Uh, we're doing this now. Uh... <laughs>
1: Sorry to catch you on the uh, on the fly uh, there. I'm seeing something
2: edible but i'm also kind of hungry
1: so <laughs> all right all right something edible well that's pretty that's a pretty broad uh, spectrum however we'll go with that and uh, here in the studio on the rickenbacker bass guitar occasionally the theremin our uh, remote viewer in training the mysterious the shy the intrepid albert vinzel albert what's in the box um
2: I'm I'm going to guess a spoon or a fork, but I also got a yellow pineapple for some reason. I'm not sure why.
1: A (laughs) yellow pineapple, as opposed to those GMO purple pineapples I've been reading about so much. All right. And uh, our our producer of uh, my weekly radio feature, Strange Planet, Ryan White, on the Hammond B3 organ. What's in the box, Ryan?
3: It's so rainy. I'm picturing something that can
2: absorb water. Like maybe a sponge or a loofah or the end of a mop, something porous. Interesting.
1: All right. Always so specific in detail, Ryan is. All right, we will do the uh, reveal at the bottom of the hour. All right. Uh, There's so much to talk about. And, um, of course, there's never any scarcity uh, of uh, topics coming out of Washington, D.C., uh, top of mind remains uh, a potential showdown between the United States and North Korea. Uh, can we fire off that clip, uh, Ian? Here's, a Ryan, uh, here's a President Trump on uh, North Korea.
0: Chance that we could end up having a major, major conflict with North Korea. Absolutely but Trump issuing a stern warning to North Korean leader Kim Jong-un that any move against South Korea would come at a punishing price.
3: Is he willing to destroy his country? And is he willing to destroy millions and millions of
2: lives and people?
1: All right, there you have it. You know what's interesting about um, uh, North Korea? I I don't know if you've heard this recently, but a number of military experts have gone on record as saying that they think a lot of the recently of course North North Korea had that big uh, parade kind of a show of bluster they had all of their their missiles and all their soldiers marching and uh, had all their weapons you know tr- but that's mainly for the north koreans not in, it's not intended for um sort of public consumption outside the country because what happens is the military experts sort of focus in on those those rifles that the soldiers are carrying and those those uh, very ominous, threatening-looking ballistic missiles, and they've concluded that a lot of that stuff is just fake. It doesn't work. It reminds me of um, uh, England during the Second World War. They uh, they weren't quite ready for the war. I don't know if you ever remember a sitcom called Dad's Army. In fact, I think they play it on uh, or used to play it on on Vision TV and uh, our um, our TV station here at Zoomer. And my dad, who who was in the Second World War, used to tell me these stories as well. That on the home front, of course, there were German spies everywhere, and uh, the Germans were looking across the channel and flying overhead, trying to figure out, you know, how formidable a foe are the Brits. Well, they weren't prepared. And so, of course, they would have uh, these... Old, uh, some of them were World War I vets. You know th- That's where this dad's army comes from. They were on the home front, right? And they would be marching, but they had no, they had no rifles. They'd be marching with wooden rifles. Or they would create these these convoys of, um, of army vehicles, uh, but they didn't have enough of them to look formidable. So what they would do is they might run you know, 15 or 20 of them down the street, and then they'd go around a corner, and they would change the license plates, and it would just keep them coming around and around they'd go. It was all bluster. Same with North Korea. Uh, however, we know that they are working on uh, on uh, deploying a, a nuclear bomb. Now they just need a delivery system. But most of their recent uh, their missile tests have failed miserably, and that's no accident, believe me. Uh, the United States is employing some sort of software sabot- sabotage or, or something. That that's going on. I- I'm convinced of that. The other thing that's interesting about Trump being in the news... As uh, we approach later on in May, towards the end of May, it will be John F. Kennedy's 100th birthday. Can you believe it? JFK would have been a hundred. Um, I believe the actual date is something like May 29th or something, isn't it, Albert? Uh, and uh, we have um, JFK assassination researcher James D. Eugenio uh, coming on to commemorate the 100th anniversary. When is that? Um, when uh, the week
2: before, May 21st. But yeah, you're right, May 29th is his birthday.
1: Right, and so James will be on uh, May 21st. Uh, but but um, now, uh, tr- Trump may, in fact, uh, be about to release um, some JFK files. And uh, it's he's got to decide, apparently within months, because there's this new timeline that's being offered by the National Archives. Under the deadline set by a 1992 law, President Trump has six months left to decide whether he will block the release of an estimated 3,600 files related to the assassination that are still under seal at the archives. And from what, from what is known of uh, the JFK documents, most come from the CIA and FBI, a number may help resolve lingering questions about whether those agencies missed evidence of a conspiracy in Kennedy's death. They didn't miss it. They simply (laughs) shoved it under the rug. Uh, As with every earlier release of JFK assassination uh, documents in the, um, wow, 54 years coming up since uh, shots rang out in Dealey Plaza in Dallas, it's uh, virtually certain that some of the files will be seized upon uh, to support um, this this theory or that about uh, Kennedy's murder. So, uh, President Trump may allow the public to see a trove of thousands of long secret government files about the event that uh, really more than any event in U.S. history has fueled conspiracy theories. That's the 1963 assassination of President John F. Kennedy. And Trump, by all accounts, is um, very interested in a lot of conspiracy theories. Uh, That, according to um, his longtime friend, advisor, and political operative Roger Stone. So, that's uh, interesting. We'll keep an eye on that one. But again, James D. Eugenio will be uh, joining us in a couple of weeks to talk about the 100th anniversary. All right, so we've got What's in the Box, the reveal coming up at the bottom of the hour. Again, use the hashtag TCS Remote, but you must use the Twitter feed at Richard Serrett. We'll get to your phone calls as well. Open lines, 416 740 Toll free from out of town, 1-866-740-4740. In a democracy, we elect officials so we can sleep at night. So why are you up? And welcome back. Open lines for the hour. I just want to say hello to uh, those of you in the uh, the live chat. You're always uh, so loyal, so faithful, so supportive. Um, I'm, I'm mispronouncing this, but I'm going to say, is it Weiwei Wei or YY and Warren and You Betcha and American Zero? Don't be so hard on yourself. <laughs> Gord Oland and Dan Smith and Warren RCG and uh, all of you. Uh, it's always good to have you in the live chat. Uh, incidentally, the YouTube channel, we're streaming live, and I encourage you to uh, subscribe. What are we up to now, uh, Ryan? It's around 4,600. 4,600, 4, yeah. all right all right. The slow march to 10,000. It's 4,651 subscribers. So just go to YouTube and uh, the, the Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And hit the subscribe button, please. We have a modest goal of 10,000 subs sometime in uh, 2017. And just a reminder, next week we're going to launch a new format, at least on the radio, uh, we'll have uh, more guests, shorter segments, and every week, open lines for the first half hour in the second hour. And we'll have some panel discussions and regular contributors and so forth. Very excited about it, and uh, we've been working real hard on it. And uh, in the coming weeks, we're going to hopefully up up the uh, the production value on the YouTube channel as well. All right, let's begin tonight's open lines with uh, Helena in Hamilton. Is it Helena uh, uh, or Helena?
4: It's Helena.
1: Helena, well, yes. welcome.
4: I'm wondering about Deja Vu. I've experienced it all the time. It frightens the hell out of me because um, I'm wondering. It originated in France. It originated in Paris, France, and the name Deja Vu came from Paris came from the French.
1: Right, it is a French word. It's well, French you know, I might have, in, I may have, I can probably count um, on two hands maybe, the, the number of times I've had a startling déjà vu experience, but you have them yeah. almost daily. Yeah. Well, give me an example of something that happened recently, Helena. Well, I
4: can't an example, but sometimes it's very frightening.
1: So do you believe that that's an um, indication we, that you've lived before, that it's a past life? More
4: than one life. Mm-hmm i don't know about that deja vu means that we we we've lived another life we've lived in another in the past
1: well possibly i
4: mean i i, I identify myself with a cat family they say cat, cat has nine lives right that's what they say mm-hmm. the saying, told by adults to children
1: right right
4: now why do adults always lie to their children why do they always lie
1: why do adults always lie? I don't know that they always lie. Sometimes, My well,
4: did, did My they? Lied to me.
1: What did they? What did they lie to you
4: about? They said that I couldn't. Uh, they said that. Um, they said that uh, I'd never reached the top of the tree,
5: hmm. the
4: tree of knowledge in the Genesis. I oh. never reached the top of the tree always be at the bottom.
1: Of the, I'm so sorry know, to hear that. I'm, you know what? That, that breaks my heart when I hear about
4: be blind, deaf, and dumb.
1: Right. That breaks my heart when I when I hear parents uh not supporting their children and, and nurturing no, them.
4: No, they supported me, but um, okay. why couldn't they tell me that, um,
1: that that you were going to be a great success? Well, they should have. They should have, Helena. Uh, but deja vu is uh, is is remarkable. The most. The most vivid example of deja vu I ever had was uh, traveling down to New Jersey for uh, the Mighty Aphrodite's cousin's wedding. And we were in and around Randolph somewhere, uh, and we drove through this little town down this very quaint main street, and I, it just hit me. as I just felt like I was home, uh, like I'd been here before. Everything looked familiar. It felt familiar. And uh, it turns out, a couple of months later, we, uh, we got one of those free uh, monthly subscriptions to Ancestry.com or Ancestry.ca. And um, uh, it turns out my, uh, my ancestors on my mother's side uh, came from that part of New Jersey. So I don't know what to make of that, but I, it was fascinating. Uh, deja Vu is a fascinating topic. And what my favorite comedian, Stephen Wright... Had a great line, something about having experiencing deja vu and amnesia at the same time. I'm not sure what, what would happen there. All right, let's say hello to Earl in Oakville. Earl, welcome aboard. How
5: are you? I'm fine, Richard. How are you? Very well. Thank you, my friend. Okay, uh, this is back in the mid-1970s. I lived in North York on the 11th floor in an apartment, and I had a telescope. And one night I was looking out, and I could swear this looked like a little rocket taking off. And it was a very bright light heading towards the sky. And I saw it in my telescope, and it was a UFO sighting. And to this day, I don't know what it was.
1: This was in North York, and for those uh, not familiar with Toronto, this is a uh, a part of Toronto, sort of north of the 401.
2: Or yeah, I guess between Victoria, Shepherd Park and yeah,
1: Lawrence. Right, Victoria Park and Lawrence, and then uh, Shepherd north. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so um, I guess that doesn't help people who don't know Toronto. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, so you you saw you had a telescope and you saw this
5: yeah, this saw something it looked like a, it looked like a rock, bright light, like a rocket taking off from from another building in the distance. And I saw it my telescope, looking like at a bright light. Is I'm it possible that it was a hobbyist? Was heading towards the sky at lightning-fast speed.
1: Is know? it possible, Earl, that it was some a towards hobbyist launching a little rocket? I don't know.
5: Uh, no, I don't think so, Richard.
1: What it color was the light?
5: It was kind of like a whitish-bluish light. Okay. Yeah. So
1: something uh, burning, sounds like something burning hot. Now, and and um, how far up did it go? Did it did it keep going went, and then disappear? Up the sky. All right.
5: Yeah,
1: and did it was it did it just go straight up or did it maneuver it went
5: straight around? Straight up, yeah,
1: it went straight up. Hmm. interesting. Yeah, very hard to straight. say, Earl. Hard to say. Anything? That, now that was back in the seventies, forty yeah, years it was ago. Back in the seventies. Forty years ago, Earl.
5: Yeah, well, Any, you know, I'm, I I don't have Alzheimer's. You know what I mean?
1: No, no, no. I'm not. I'm not doubting. No, no. I'm not doubting what you saw. What I'm saying. What I was going to ask you, Earl, is: Has there been anything since then?
5: No, no. I haven't seen. I live in Oakville now. I, I haven't seen anything strange. You know. All right. That was back in the 70s. I I thought you'd be interested. I am
1: interested. Listen, Earl, I'm always interested in those types of things. You know, uh, I have never had a UFO sighting. Really, eh? I know that sounds strange for someone who who sort of makes a living at this, but I've never. And I've only had one sort of what I would call paranormal, supernatural occurrence in my entire life.
5: Yeah, yeah. Earl? Thank okay, you for checking in. Care, I appreciate pal.
1: it. No, I'm, I'm, I am I'm interested in that story, and I appreciate the call. Thank you so okay, much.
5: You're welcome.
1: Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 360 416 and toll-free from just about anywhere, 1-866-740-4740. Uh, James is in the Buckeye State, Ohio. Good evening, James. Welcome to the Conspiracy Show. Hey, how are you doing? I'm very well. How are you?
6: I'm pretty good. Um, I tell you though, it's uh,
1: been—it's raining like uh, table legs here. You know that old expression? Just—it's just coming down, uh, like like it's biblical. It's biblical. What's the weather like there?
6: Well, it's uh, pretty clear right now. It was raining pretty hard earlier, but it's not too bad right now. All right. What's um, on your mind? Well, well, just one main thing. But uh, first, I want to uh, say I've been listening to you for. A couple of years. I uh, started when I was in the military. I was stationed out in Vegas and I uh, just got hooked to your show. Oh, I appreciate um, that. I, prob- I probably listen to you more than probably anybody when it comes to podcasts but um, my main uh, question is, and I don't I don't know who you might would have on, but uh, the Flat Earth um, I don't know if you might would want to do a podcast on it and I, I know it's a really touchy subject but you know, there's some things to it that uh, just really make me question with the world that we live in, and right. um, I just kind of wanted to spend that by you and see if maybe you would want to uh, make a podcast about the flat
1: Earth. Well, um, we do we do offer the show as a podcast. Just just for clarification, for those listening, this is a regular you know terrestrial radio program. We go out live, and then we you know we do offer the show uh, in repeat on the, on the podcast. How are you listening to us, James? By the way, right now. Uh, through YouTube. Through YouTube. Okay, great. Um, so, we have done uh, a, a program, I guess, within, when was it, Albert? The last year or maybe two years ago? A year and a half? Time flies. We did a show on, on the Flat Earth. Who was that we had on? Do you remember his name? Eric Dubai or yeah, something? Eric, Eric Dubai. Dubai.
6: Yeah. Okay,
1: I recognize that name. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know what? It, it's a fascinating topic, and I'm not, you know, I don't believe that it's a flat earth. However, I'm not an expert, so when someone comes on, and uh, Eric, um, you know, he offered up some pretty interesting arguments, but I, my feeling is that most of them can be easily refuted, but that doesn't mean I, I, I'm not interested in talking about it, and we can certainly do another show uh i'll be okay. i'll be all cards on the table i don't think i would have eric uh, on again unfortunately there's some kind of unsavory uh, stuff that he gets into on his website and i'm and i won't tolerate that on the air um okay. however i mean we didn't discuss that on the air but so uh you know what we will we'll do another show maybe i'll set up a debate i'll have sort of a pro and a con what do you think about that uh, guys uh, a debate on a flat earth would that be interesting
6: that that would that would
1: sound you...
6: that, that sounds really good. All right, um, and I, I do have one other thing, uh-huh. and uh, I, I haven't really understood, um, or I, I can't really explain what's causing it, but I'm sure you've heard the of the uh, Mandela effect.
1: Yes, a number of people have. Maybe that was you that uh, tweeted and wanted to do a show. Was that you that tweeted me on that?
6: Uh, I don't. I don't think it was. I'm not big on Twitter, but. Uh. Um, but uh yeah I just wanted to run that by you. and I don't want to take up all your time cuz I'm sure other colleges have more important well, uh, things to Well you,
1: you, you're uh, you're uh, you're offering up some great uh, topics the Mandela effect is so this is interesting have either of you guys, Ryan or uh, uh, Albert, have you heard about the Mandela Effect?
2: That's like chaos theory, like Mandelbrot, is it? Well, well, what happens the is people, p- people they think
1: they misremember something. For example, there are people who believe that they heard that Mandela, Nelson Mandela had oh. died months or even years earlier. Yeah. They remember hearing that on the news. And there are other examples of yeah, that. They
2: saw a movie that doesn't exist and things like that. Exactly. Movie. Yeah.
1: exactly. What, do you, what, is, what do you think that's about?
6: Well, I think the the only – and, you know, I've, I've kind of thought about the time travel aspect of it, but it doesn't really make sense because, I mean, there, if it was time travel, why would they go back and change all these meaningless things that really isn't affecting anything? <laughs> exactly. Like, yes, like movie quotes and, and logos and stuff like that. But So I'm kind of leaning towards um, maybe the – Quantum computing, like with uh, the D-Wave quantum computer and things like that, hmm. but you know it's so it's so hard to to know, you know. But
1: uh, I'll tell I know you what
6: for sure, there are some things that uh, I remember that uh, are not what it's what it's like in this.
1: Um, memories, James. It. Memories are tricky things. I did a show on coast to coast with a memory expert, and uh, I tell you, you know, we we think we remember things. Um, you know, when we were, when we were children. And a lot of those end up being implanted, not, you know, not deliberately. Uh, but someone says something to you. Um, maybe they remembered something you did as a child. And then pretty soon, you think it's your memory. And it, it's not your memory. You're remembering someone else's memory of you. Uh, but there are so many different examples of how memory can be manipulated. And this, right. uh, this woman that I had on, um she did a study and she she insists that she can convince just about anyone off the street, for example, after maybe a four or eight hour session that they committed some crime. And they'll walk away actually believing it. So that
6: almost sounds like an MKUltra type of It does. Control. You're absolutely no? right.
1: It does. So you know we can have memories implanted and not even realize it. But and it's not necessarily a nefarious thing like MK Ultra. Um no. it just we really have to be careful about about you know whether we were actually remembering something. I think that may be in large measure what's going on with the Mandela effect. However, it's you know we've never talked about it on the air, and it's a great topic idea, Albert. Let's do something on the uh, the Mandela effect. We'll uh, we'll look up an expert. Thank you, James.
6: Right. Thank you. I hey.
1: appreciate your time. I appreciate you checking in from Ohio, and thank you for your service. Served two years in uh, in Las Vegas. What a great gig that would be, right? Uh, Tony is in Brampton. Welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Tony, how are you?
3: Oh, I'm very good, Richard. And yourself?
1: Very well, thank you.
3: Well, first of all, I have to say I do love your show.
1: I appreciate that.
3: This thank is a, one of the rare times I've actually ever called into any any shows whatsoever. Aha. So well, I just want to thank you for uh, taking my call.
1: Well, we're going to do open lines once a week uh, in the second hour, starting okay. next week uh, after uh, midnight. So
3: Excellent. Well, one thing that I've sort of been sort of banding around in my head the past uh, few years is, um, and I don't think I've ever heard it on your show, um, and I think it possibly is a conspiracy as to the name of our Savior. I understand, you know, growing up as a Christian that we've, I mean, I've always heard that his name is, you know, Jesus Christ, but the more I've been studying, the more I've been hearing sort of other things lately, I'm noticing that possibly there, there could be a conspiracy around the name, and that his real name is Yeshua, Am- Well Mashiach.
1: Well, that's, that's, that's the Hebrew Yeshua is Hebrew. Jesus is, is, from, is from the Latin or form of the Greek name, right?
3: Yes. Now, my understanding is when you, do, when you do a translation, you go from the original and then you go to the language that you want translated. So my understanding is it's gone from the, either the Ar- Aramaic and Hebrew to Greek and then from Greek to English. And I'm wondering why it just didn't go from the Aramaic straight to English. And if you were to do that, I think it would go from Yeshua to Joshua. And then, So where did Jesus come from?
1: Well, um, that's a good point. I don't know. Like, shouldn't it be I, you Joshua? know, I've I've heard Joshua. I've heard him. Maybe um, I've heard that too. Joshua, yeah. Yeshua. You know what? I don't call. I don't care if they call him Fred. I will follow him.
3: No, exactly.
1: But that's an interesting point.
3: You know, and because you know, unfortunately, the church has a little bit of a history of being anti-Semitic. So, are they trying to maybe cover up the the Jewishness of our Savior? I mean, even Mary. Her, her real name is Miriam. not right. uh, Mary.
1: That's an excellent point, and you're right. Um certainly leading up to, uh, well, with Vatican II, up until Vatican II, there was, uh, a, a separation, uh, between the, the, he- the Hebraic roots yes. of, of Jesus and Christianity. But you'll find now with a lot of evangelicals, they are, they are really, em- and I'm, I welcome this, they are embracing that. For example, uh, there are many evangelicals now who, who celebrate the Sabbath on the Saturday. Excellent. Uh, who, who observe you know, the Feast of Unleavened Bread and, and all of the the, uh, the traditional Jewish feasts. Yes. Because, because that's what... I mean, Jesus was a Jew, and that's what he did. and exactly. And they put the emphasis, for example, on Passover, yes. not on Easter.
3: A perfect... Yes. The lamb, not the bunny.
1: That's right. Exactly. Yes. Uh, but that's a great question. And you know what we'll do? We'll have Jonathan Kahn, my good friend uh, Jonathan Kahn, uh, come on, and or Carl Gallops, and maybe he can discuss uh, how it has come down to us that our Lord and Savior is Jesus and not Joshua?
3: Yes, exactly. Great question. You know, Yeshua, if, if you're just going to anglicize that, then that would be Joshua.
1: Excellent point. You yes. see, Tony, I, that's, I have the greatest callers and listeners in radio land. Thank you for checking in from Brampton. Thank you, Richard. Have okay. a good night. Stay dry. Okay. Bye-bye. All right, when we come back, Open Lines will continue and we'll also reveal what's in the box. Poking Holes in the
0: Darkness The Conspiracy Show, with Richard Sarrett.
1: Time to reveal what's in the box, our weekly remote viewing experiment. Uh, Karen is guessing um, a black checker in the box. And let's see what else we have here. Uh, Dustin says a banana, a yellowish-greenish banana. Uh, Let's see, what else, what else, what else? I said I wasn't going to do this, and I don't want to encourage... but I'm not getting, for some reason, I'm not getting a lot, oh, uh someone saying cookies. Someone guessing weekly, <laughs> we get cigars. I said I wasn't going to do this, but I'm going to go to the live chat, just because it's right in front of me. And again, normally I wouldn't. Um, Gord is guessing a silver round ring-like object. And you betcha, cigars. And Warren RCG, a half eaten tuna salad sandwich. Uh YY is guessing uh a hammer or some sort of tool. And uh, Dar Smith is guessing a keychain, David Tribble, a blue cup. And uh again YY there's metal in there. Alright, and thinker it's cookies in the box couple of people guessing cookies, Carol B, a golf ball. And uh, anyway, well, let's just do it. Open it up. It's a toy airplane, a little guy's model, a U.S. Air Force. I would have taken toy plane. Anyway, the metal, someone said metal. It's plastic, but it has kind of, it's supposed to look like metallic, a metallic object. So not close enough, I'm afraid. All right, back in the box we go. And, uh, we will do a remote viewing experiment. What's in the box next week? In the meantime, please check out the, uh, Conspiracy Show online store for some fabulous conspiracy show merchandise. Mugs and t-shirts and, uh, and so forth. Uh, phone cases. If you've got, uh, just about every iteration of iPhone and Android, you can get a phone, a phone case with the, uh, Conspiracy Show logo. theconspiracyshow.com. And just go into the menu and look for the, the online store. Uh, let's see, we have, uh, Paul out in Oshawa with a close encounter in Scarborough. Paul, welcome to the Conspiracy Show. How are you?
2: I'm good, Richard. Uh, thank you very much for, uh, taking the call. Good to Uh, hear from
1: you again, Paul. It's been a while.
2: It's been quite a while. Uh, you know, I'm a granddaddy, so lots of activity in that area. I'll bet. Um, but, uh, the UFO, uh, sightings, uh, have been continuing for me, uh, as I observe the skies day and night, and, uh... More daylights than night times, but uh, there just seem to be increasing uh, that I'm viewing, and uh, also pointing out to witnesses and photographing as usual.
1: Right. Yeah, you so. have um, you have over the years you've sent me a number of photos, and uh, I mean these things seem to follow you around.
2: Well, I just keep observing them, and it looks like something's observing myself or uh, our environment below.
1: Right. And you, um, you were actually part of our um, – we did an alien abduction episode for the TV show, The Conspiracy Show, several years ago. I forget which season it was, and you appeared in that. Uh, and did you not undergo a, um, a regression under hypnosis, and, and which allowed you to sort of re-experience an abduction?
2: Yes, I have. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was on your show uh, back on January 2010, I believe. Right. Uh, Memory Serves Me Right. Yes. With uh, uh, Sky.
1: Deborah Sky, uh, that's right. That's right. We did it live on the air. We did the regression live on the air.
2: Yes. uh, It it brought a a lot more uh, memory of uh, occurrences of different entities, uh, and also uh, from that time has uh, brought a little more memory uh, of scenes of playing with them. The yes, house. yes.
1: And this is intergenerational, isn't it? isn't it? Did you suspect it was happening with your children?
2: Uh, they have seen things. Okay. Uh, their friends have been with them and seen things with them. Uh, so, uh, yes, maybe in retrospect, uh, it could very well be. Um, but uh, the close encounter... Uh, that I'd like to talk to you about, which I don't think I've ever discussed with you, is a very interesting sighting and probably would be uh, very insightful to your listeners as well.
1: All right, we just got a little a little bit of time here, so give us sort of the Reader's Digest version.
2: Okay, uh, the date was August fourth, nineteen seventy-seven. Just as it hit dusk, I was working outside uh, car pickup at Dominion Stores Limited at Nielsen and Ellesmere in Scarborough. Mm-hmm. Uh, working away on a car and there was a man parked in a car adjacent, uh, close to a field. And he asked me, what's that, uh, up there? And I looked over to the east directly and I said, it's a plane, continued on, finished the car, the next car. He says, but it's not moving. I, I didn't really look. I said, well, it's a helicopter and continued on, uh, loading the car. And then I had no more cars. And he says, but look at the lights on it. So I turned directly around and looked, uh, straight ahead uh, about a mile at neil's or at uh, morningside and Ellesmere and there was uh, uh, a different colored lights going in a wheel a clock uh, wheel fashion and uh i said hey yeah what is that so i ran across the field about a couple of hundred yards with my head down i'm 18 years old and i stopped in the middle of the field to look to it uh less uh, a mile away a couple of hundred yards and uh it wasn't there, so I looked at the sky, looked over my shoulder, and there it was about 50 feet away uh, to the west of me, about 200 feet up. Uh, the craft was silver gray, no markings on it, uh, no uh, portholes. Uh, it was shaped like a pair or capsule shaped 30 to 40 feet long, and I was looking at the back end of it, and the center of it had a large orangey-yellow light that stayed on and four- distinct primary colors, blue, green, yellow, red, going around the perimeter of the orange one. It stayed there, uh making no sound. Just the lights were moving around, rotating clockwise around the orange one. Uh I was underneath it for about fifteen minutes and awe, thinking they were time travelers. And uh why did you why was that your first thought? Uh because I never thought of the word extraterrestrials or aliens. It just looked...
1: Oh, I see. Okay. ...about the future. Oh, I see. Right.
2: Interesting. And, and of course, as you know, uh, as a child, uh, in those growing years, uh, in the Apollo uh, uh, capsule uh, program, that's what it looked like. But it was a little longer and sleeker, uh, with no markings on it, sitting there motionless, uh, with the lights going on. So I ran across the field to get a witness. I, I had earlier... Before running, I yelled for it to land, pointing to the ground, land. And uh, I could only think of the word Neanderthal in my mind and bone density. And and again, of those words, ran across the field to to get a witness. And three things I noticed when I stopped uh, getting to the parking lot, the witness who had pointed to me, the old man in the car, was gone. The object had a high-pitched beeping sound, uh, and it was starting to move very slow, one to two miles per hour heading towards the north left. I ran into the store to get Ian, who was unloading a 45-footer in grocery. He says, "Oh, Paul, I got to get this done. It's probably a blimp." Blah blah blah. I furiously ran back out through the store and yelled for Chuck, who was collecting the carts. He
1: okay, Paul, I got to wind this up. I got to wind this up because I'm going into a break. Um,
2: okay. So, okay, uh, all right. So he had seen it. It was at a greater distance now, uh, beeping away. We could only make out the lights, not the. Okay, so you
1: have corroborating. You have you have witnesses that saw it as well. Uh, yes. Uh, listen, Paul, uh, check into us often, and uh, maybe we'll talk to you next week, and we'll get to uh, get some more details on that sighting. Paul, in uh, Oshawa, thank you.
2: Thanks very much, Richard. Enjoy. Thank you.
1: All right, more of your calls on the other side. Stay with us.
0: Question everything. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrant. Welcome back.
1: Just a few moments uh, yet to get in on our open lines segment. And just a reminder, starting next week, we will do open lines, the first half hour of the second hour. A brand new format uh, unveiling uh, next week, and we'll have some regular panelists joining us. The first hour is going to be pretty busy. We'll have a couple of panelists in the first 15 minutes, and then uh, a couple more guests uh, in the uh, one in the second segment and one in the, uh, the the fourth and final segment of the hour, just uh, short uh, shorter segments, um, uh, more guests. It's going to be busier. It's going to move a little quicker, I think. Hope you like it. And then in the uh, the second hour every week, open lines uh, for the first half hour, and then we'll have uh, a guest in the second half hour. Usually that's where we'll park our sort of our paranormal, ufology type uh, topics. In the first hour, we'll we'll be a little more. I suppose, uh, sort of hard-hitting, uh, conspiratorial, political subterfuge, geopolitics, that sort of thing. 416-360-0740, 416-360-0740, and toll-free from just about anywhere, one 740 4740 866-740-4740. Um, I interviewed this Italian neurosurgeon uh, on it was coast to coast a couple of years ago, maybe 18 months. Sergio Canavero. Some are calling him, uh, Dr. Frankenstein, uh, or Frankenstein for Eugene Wilder fans. Anyway, he's, um, at that time, uh, he was claiming that he was going to undertake the first human head transplant, uh, and he had a, um, a Russian patient lined up. Who, was, who had some uh, degenerative neuromuscular disease, I believe, confined to a wheelchair, and uh, this was going to be his patient. He was going to take the, um, this patient's head and transplant it on an otherwise healthy body, obviously donated. And I know it sounds absolutely unreal. Well, now we are, here we are, 18 months later, and uh, Dr. Sergio Canavero, is insisting he's going to undertake the first human head transplant later this year in China. He told a German magazine, Um in a, an article published earlier this week, and following that effort, he will revive a cryogenically frozen brain and transplant it into a donor body within the next three years. And the plan's completely disconnected from reality, some might say, uh, and the state of modern medicine are at least in, in line with his previous rather outlandish goals, and um, some have called it dubious animal research. Uh, he made headlines in the past few years by claiming that transplanting the whole head of a human onto a donor body is currently possible. And uh, this Russian man, suffering from a, a spinal muscular atrophy malady called Werdnig-Hoffman disease, uh, publicly volunteered for the procedure. And uh, as proof that the transplant could work, Canavero published gruesome experiments back in 2016, said to have repaired the severely injured spinal cords of mice, rats, and a dog. And uh, the experiments came complete with a cringeworthy video of uh, recovering animals struggling to drag their limp bodies around. There were similar... uh, I remember seeing YouTube videos back in the 50s uh, of of similar type experiments. Anyway... Uh, Sergio Canavero is in earnest and he says sometime this year he will perform a human head transplant uh, in China and he appeared recently on a a British chat show and um, he was asked, uh, I guess, about the the patient's chances of survival and here's what he had to say.
3: What are the chances, do you believe, that Valerie will survive the operation and indeed have a better quality of life after it than he does now. Uh,
0: as I said multiple times, uh, we all agree, at least the top surgeons that will be part of the team, uh, that uh, 90% is the chance that Valerie stands to survive the operation. So, 90% uh, why? Because there is a plan. The first uh, humans to receive uh, this sort of a head transplant. Uh, will not be valeri, but uh, we will just be performing this first on cadavers, then on brain dead organ donors. So the first live head transplant will come about somewhere where we will be able to transfer the head of a brain dead organ donor on the body of a decapitated. Uh, brain-dead organ donors. So only after extensive cadaveric rehearsals and uh, this final proof-of-principle surgery on brain-dead organ donors, we will move uh, on uh, Valeri. Actually, the list of patients is so long that I can't even begin to just uh, give you all the names. Dr. Hilary, we've heard from the professor who's, uh, you know...
1: All right, that was actually Pierce Morgan uh, who... Uh, fled back to England after <laughs> rather inauspicious uh, tenure at uh, CNN. Um, actually, now that he's back in England, I, I kind of like Pierce Morgan a lot over there. <laughs> anyway, that was his interview uh, with uh, Sergio Canavero, and uh, I'm going to have to get him we'll get him back on the program as uh, the the uh, the date for this uh, procedure uh, approaches. Can you believe it? A human head transplant sometime in 2017 uh open lines we've just got uh well this will be last call of the phone lines 416 and toll free from out of town 1-866-744-740 um, i was uh, i was going to have dr timothy ball on on the program tonight he was um, he emailed me this morning he uh, suddenly took ill and uh, we're praying for a, a speedy recover. Dr. Ball, if you're listening, uh, he was going to come on and, and talk about um, what he sees as, you know, one of the greatest scientific hoaxes of the 20th century, and that is uh, climate change. And um, I, uh, I'm i pretty much in line uh, with Dr. Ball on that. And, and now this uh, comes out that a number of PhDs have uh, written a book chapter asserting that doubts about the theory of human-caused global warming should be considered real science. Well, of course, of course, of course it, they, they should. This idea that 97% of, of scientists uh, believe in man-made uh, global, global warming is is um, a canard, and, and we now know the origin of that. It was a survey taken, a, a limited number of, uh, of scientists, many of whom were not even earth scientists or climatologists, and uh, they were asked a series of very broad-based questions. Do you believe in climate change? Well, of course, climate change is real. As uh, Jesse Waters on Fox likes to say, it's called the seasons. <laughs> uh, but the question as to whether man is contributing to global warming, that's another whole other kettle of fish. And there is not this 97% consensus. Uh, never has been. And uh, a number of notables now have come out. They've written a, a book chapter. And um, the National Science Teachers Association, however, wants... This is in the United States. The National Science Teachers Association wants nothing to do with such an approach. Its executive director, David Evans, has written a letter to members insisting they must teach the agendas of the National Wildlife Federation, the North American Association for Environmental Education. These are activist groups. These are not scientific bodies. These are activist groups. Uh, so, again, the National Science Teachers Association... Is, uh, is saying, ignore the other side. Uh, they must avoid, he contends, the information compiled by the scientists who wrote Why Scientists Disagree About Global Warming. The chapter, written by Craig Idso, Robert Carter, and S. Fred Singer, and published by the Heartland Institute, challenges common climate change and global warming agenda arguments. Spencer Irvine of Accuracy in Academia wrote in a review, "...as much as the liberal media, liberal academics and pundits tell Americans that the earth is too warm and human human beings are the cause for a spike in weather and temperature changes, there is little to no scientific consensus to support these assertions. It is clear that the climate change agenda turns a blind eye to neutral and impartial studies of the project." Now, um, I had um, the co-founder of Greenpeace on this program and also on Coast to Coast, Dr. Patrick, uh, Dr. Patrick Moore, I believe. Um, this is he's an earth scientist, PhD in earth science, and he co-founded Greenpeace, but he quit uh, when it started to adopt what he called sort of an anti-human agenda. They started out as kind of a no nukes and save the whales type organization, uh, you know, which is is laudable and 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 so forth. Although you may disagree about. Uh, the efficacy, safety of nuclear power. Uh, but sometime in, I guess, in the 80s, they adopted this anti-human agenda. Humans are bad. We are a blight. We are a cancer. Uh, and so he had to quit. And now he is a, a vocal, um, a critic of anthropogenic global warming and made global warming. Now, a couple of years ago, he was in India at a climate change conference. And um, I just... I wanted to play a clip. I thought this was a very succinct little clip, and he's describing the importance. Of course, CO2 has been um, described as a pollutant by the EPA, a pollutant. It is absolutely essential for, for life here on this planet. Here's Dr. Patrick Moore.
0: I believe we should recognize that carbon dioxide is the
1: most important food for all life on Earth. It's what plants eat to make sugars, which is the basis of energy for all life. And all life is carbon based on this Earth. Carbon is the building block of life. And without carbon in the atmosphere, this would be a dead planet.
3: So surely that counts for something, the fact that that, that life would be impossible without carbon dioxide means that at least it has some good to it. And as a matter of fact,
1: I say it's not only essential and beneficial, but it is the most essential and beneficial molecule in the air. I'll say um, 400 parts per million, 400 parts uh, per million. That's where we are in terms of CO2 levels. Uh, Moore describes that as a starvation diet of CO2. The optimal level of CO2 in the atmosphere for plant growth is about 1,200 parts per million, three times where it is presently at. If you talk to a farmer who has greenhouses, what do they do to increase the yield and to increase uh, plant growth? They pump carbon dioxide into the greenhouses. To what level? About 1,200 parts per million. So this idea that carbon dioxide is a pollutant is just utter nonsense. Anyway, we'll, uh, we'll leave that for another time when uh, Dr. Timothy Ball is uh, feeling much better and we'll get him back on the program. Joshua P. Warren is coming up next and he'll join us live from Puerto Rico, right smack dab in the middle of the Bermuda Triangle. Stay with us here on The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Thanks for the hang.